Welcome to the Global Venture in Review podcast. My name's James Mawson, founder and editor-in-chief of our Global Corporate Venture, Global University Venture and Global Impact Venture publications. It's a great pleasure to be back once again, following on from the closure of our GCB Digital Forum and Powerless launch over the past week on this podcast. Thierry Hellis is just busy finishing off the Gov magazine for the latest quarter and so he's doing a catch-up. So it'll just be me and I'll try something new this week rather than doing a couple of the sort of high-profile stories and analyses and then running through some of the news and briefs. I'll just extend out some of the analyses because there have been so many big stories over the past week, particularly big deals and funds and people stories that I fear that we'll be here for a long time if I uh, if I read them all out. But do check out the various different sites and publications because there are a lot of big stories out there. But I'll start off with uh, one analysis that while the immediate attention is on China's latest crackdown of sectors such as tech and education, for example, Tencent has lost about $170 billion in its market cap, where it's probably its worst ever month in July. Then the ability for foreign investors to back them, or even if they can make profits in China, there is great optimism in another rise in economic power, India. India-based sports-focused Riti Group has collaborated with local cement maker Kanodia Group to launch venture capital firm Deep Pockets Capital Venture. Quote, India is on the cusp of a revolution in technology, including artificial intelligence and blockchain, which is set to revolutionise agriculture, finance and entertainment in coming years. End quote, according to Riti Group Chairman Arun Pandey in Economic Times of India. Venture capital funding for Indian firms hit a six-year high of $12.1 billion in the first six months of 2021, according to venture intelligence, many of them by foreign investors. Tiger Global, for example, has struck almost 170 deals in India since 2006, with 29 so far this year, according to Pitchbrook data, under a strategy by key executives such as Lee Fitzell before he left. Alongside other corporate investors such as Nasdaq, now called Process, and Chinese peers such as Xiaomi, Tencent, and Alibaba. In 2014, Tiger and Process helped lead a $1 billion investment in India e-commerce group Flipkart at a valuation that represented a three four times multiple of the company's sales, according to the Financial Times in its profile Tiger. And exits are starting to flow following the seminal $16 billion acquisition of a majority of Flipkart by US peer Walmart three years ago. The successful listing of food delivery service Somato and expected bumper IPOs of payments provider Paytim, insurance aggregator Policy Bazaar, beauty retailer Nikar and delivery company Dell Hibri, and even Flipkart could reportedly come to the public markets as soon as this year after its latest $3.6 billion round. But India's regulators favour incumbents and risks remain that the change in approach to international investment could collapse sentiment in the same way the FT reported that SoftBank's vision funds bet on China-based ride-hailing service Didi Shuxing has fallen $4 billion into the red after the past few weeks since the US listing was subsequently attacked by Chinese authorities. And the economists in this previous issue warned that these investors might struggle in India. Local corporate investors, however, are waking up to the possibilities this might bring. So the second main analysis, a week ago, US-based stock exchange Nasdaq said it would separate its existing marketplace for private company shares into a new unit. The Wall Street giants Goldman Sachs, Wall, and Stanley Citigroup, 
alongside California Insurway Silicon Valley Bank by an intermediate vision, it will quote will provide exceptionally difficult to compete against then quote forms in the Financial Times. There is already thirty billion dollars traded on private exchanges, such as Carfin Equity Zen, the FG added, but the potential market is vast and growing. And after raising almost $6.7 billion funding in March, hedge fund Tybill Global has invested the vast majority of the capital by June, according to a letter to Investor C. Money FT. The new $10 billion fund will begin accepting capital as soon as October. In the marketing documents, Tiger has said it consistently underestimated the market for private tech companies. Six months earlier, data suggested a $3 trillion market opportunity. It's now closer to $5 trillion, the firm said, as it looked to purchase billions of dollars of shares in ByteArts, the owner of social media application TikTok, whose secondary sales of prices valuing the company at between $400 and $450 billion, according to the FT. And that's effectively what NASDAQ or the other private exchanges have started to tap or target. But even with more liquidity to venture potentially surging in from retail and other investors, will come tighter bid-out spreads and effectively little to choose for an entrepreneur whether the business has to sell or float at all. Alex Labosky, managing partner and co-founder of venture capital firm Scale-Up VC, in an article for Forbes, thinks this is the biggest change for VCs. Quote, Perhaps the biggest change is just now emerging on the horizon and could dissolve the entire concept of exit from below. Secondary market looks set to go retail, which might largely erase the difference between public and private equity markets. If anyone with some extra income and a smartphone can invest in the startup equity, does that make everyone a VC? Will existing VCs be priced out of their own market? If startups have access to unlimited public finance while still in the garage, what would exit mean? And where is the gap will score and meet the same fate as one monthly record company EMI? End quote. Probably not. As the economist noted it's in the victory for Yang Pingdian, China's first shareholder, known as Yang Millions, it is, quote, no good treating the market like a casino. You have to study it constantly, the companies, the conditions, the mood, before you jump, end quote. The winners, therefore, are rarely the Robin Hood traders. Well, Robin Hood obviously had a blowout IPO, given a, I think, 560,000 times return to uh, Google Ventures, or GD as it now is, which was the early investor. But it's rarely the Robin Hood traders, but those with an edge. Inside information will likely the future performance of the business. And here, SVB is likely to be far more disruptive to the traditional investment banks as a result of NASDAQ spin-outs. SVB has the financials for the main VC firms, and hence which ones to support, as well as many of the entrepreneurs. Growing SVB's work with corporations to help them partner these entrepreneurs as a customer, and future revenues it can bring this is an unprecedented edge. The only surprise is the big banks have yet to buy SVB before it reaches its stage. On to the third big story, potential excited news by the Wall Street Journal as US-based Forum Energy recently initiated a $200 million funding round led by a strategic investment from Luxembourg-based steelmaker group ArcelorMittal, which is also one of the world's leading iron ore producers. Forum could use iron to store energy for days, which is helpful for utilities grappling with the intermittent supply of electricity from renewable power. And you can check out more on this type of story from the Global Energy Council's latest report with a focus on the electricity grid. The deal is also part of the same called Clean Tech 2.0 movement. First wave of clean tech startups before 2009 struggled for years with a high number of flameouts such as Cylinder. Now a wave of liquidity through special purpose acquisition companies, or SPACs, 
is targeting many of the survivors and promising new companies with an eye on the disruption opportunities to affect the business world as it tackles climate change and the move to net zero carbon emissions. On 27th of July, Growth Incubator Mac49 held in another of its insight sessions in the GCD Digital on quote, meeting the green investing imperative. And Paul Holland, Managing Director and VC in Residence of Mac49, discussed with Scott Gale, Executive Director of Halliburton Labs, and Gregoire Viasnov, Vice President for Incubation Business at Schneider Electric, on how multinationals can tackle the world's most pressing problems through venture building, investing in clean tech, energy transition, circular economy and mobility. Halliburton Labs, the clean energy accelerator for one of the world's largest providers to the energy industry, this month announced the second cohort of startups. And Schneider Electric, another Mac 49 partner focused on sustainability and circular economy, has been incubating new companies such as the EIQ, Mobility, Clipsol, Solar and Dash Energy, invested in external startups through its $600 million SE Ventures Fund since 2018. Quote, Mac49 was founded on the belief that through venture building and venture investing, global business can solve the world's most pressing problems, including climate change, water, poverty, health and education, end quote, according to Linda Yates, founder and CEO of Mac49. She added, Embracing a Silicon Valley mindset is the first step. With a nimble startup and VC mindset, large global corporations are leveraging their talent, assets, and innovation to create a growth engine fueled by a pipeline and portfolio of new ventures. End quote. On to the fourth story, but related, because we have reduce, reuse, and recycle as a helpful way to think about limiting personal impact on the planet, along with a handy advice to take nothing but photos, leave nothing but footprints. And it seems corporations have taken up the mantra as their venturing units increasingly focus on sustainable development goals. Most recently, Germany-based consumer technology subscription platform Grover has raised $1 billion in debt financing to add to April's Series B equity round from Samsung Nets, among others. The company uses consumer electronics such as Samsung phones to rent and then reuse, saving about 1,400 tonnes of waste. Meanwhile, Amazon Climate Pledge Fund has reinvested in the battery recycling services provider Redwoods, $700 million round and a reported $3.7 billion post-money valuation, while UK-based all-inclusive electric vehicle subscription service Onto has raised $175 million in a combined equity and debt series B round, including from oil major Total Energies, Industrial Group Blurt Group and Netherlands-based insurer Akmir's Innovation Fund. And more such deals are likely to come. Private equity firm TPG has raised $5.4 billion for its TPG Rise Climate Fund with a hard cap of $7 billion and existing client commitments from 20 or so corporations, including Alphabet, Bank of America, Dow, General Motors, and Nike. Earlier in the month, private market investor General Atlantic created a strategy focused on climate change that is reportedly looking to raise about $4 billion and, according to PitBook, investors around the world have already closed as many climate-focused funds, such as $7 billion for Brookfield Asset Managers Carbon Neutrality Fund, as were raised in the past five years. These impact environmental and sustainability strategies will be discussed at the COP26 meeting in November as part of the GCBsymposium.com in London and the rest of the UK. And finally, but not least, there are the proverbial Big shoes for Michelle Gonzalez to fill and a federal time to do so, but the opportunity is also large. Michelle Gonzalez, head of US listed Alphabet's group's search engine divisions incubator called Area 120, 
has now joined software provider Microsoft to run its core prevention unit. Microsoft had been looking for a head of its M12 unit following the departure in February of its founder, Nagraj Kashyap, being a managing partner of SoftBank's vision funds. Kashyap has been all fun enough, he's just done a big deal in South Africa, making uh, the first uh, unicorn in the country by backing an um, education company called Go One. So uh, congrats, Nagraj, on that spike. Anyway, Cash App has been a titan in the corporate venture capital for more than two decades. First running Qualcomm Ventures, then transforming Microsoft's Splatterman Ventures and Accelerator Unicorn, before joining SoftBank to help bring the added value to portfolio companies rather than rely on mighty big checks, as the group had done since raising its first near $100 billion vision fund. And this move is already paying off for SoftBank, judging by its recent performance of decisions. According to Chris Young, relatively new executive vice president for business development strategy and ventures at Microsoft, Gonzalez is taking over M12 at a hot time in the venture market. Being able to access top entrepreneurs and compete against all the cash from hedge fund Tiger Global mutual funds such as BlackRock and Bailey Gibbard. And uh, note on that last one, we're delighted its technology lead, James Anderson, will be speaking as part of our November series events in the UK's Partners Symposium, and it is challenging to do this. Tiger has recently upgraded its value of the private capital markets to $5 trillion, as mentioned, and this has put an upward pressure on valuations to go alongside all the cash. Fortunately, Gonzalez is inheriting the strong team under managing directors Tamara Stephens, Moni Hasid, and Samir Kumar, and the ability to source and follow on with interesting deals such as Side Quantum's $450 million round earlier this week. With more than 100 portfolio companies already and 15 plus exits, M12 has a place at the top table already. And in keeping with advice given at the GCV Digital Forum by SVB UK's Managing Director Alex McCracken on the state of the markets, getting access to the next generation of entrepreneurs will remain the focus for Gonzalez, who handily runs the powerful influencer series Tech Roundtables as well as building on the incubation strength she has developed at Area Run 20. This might bring Microsoft's corporate venture approach to a holistic whole. From using its monopolistic position in the 1990s to try and force its way into venture deals such as Netscape, to partnering with VCs under the Daniel Lewin era, and then the Microsoft Ventures Accelerator approach, most recently M12's investment activity as an entrepreneur-friendly investor able to add value, Microsoft has tried almost everything. With Gonzalez in place, it now has the chance to do it all at the same time and at scale. It's very powerful. As Gonzalez said, I am beyond excited and humbled to join Microsoft as Corporate Vice President and Global Head of M12 Microsoft Venture Unit. When I first met the exceptional Chris Young and discussed the M12 Microsoft Venture Fund role, I was pretty heads down leading the transformation of Area 120, Google's global in-house incubator with 20 plus teams that run like mini startups and supported my seven-year-old daughter through virtual first grade. I definitely was not seeking out big changes to our lives. However, as Chris and I continued our chats, I met more leaders of the company, it became clear to me that Microsoft and M12, Microsoft's venture fund in particular, was a special place where one could have undeniable positive impact for our team, our communities and our world, through the support of over 100 plus startups, founders and their teams. And final word to go to Chris Young, who added, quote, Michelle's deep and diverse experience of corporate venture capital and startup innovation, as well as her passion for people management and workplace inclusion, among the reasons she will lead M12 with purpose and impact. End quote. Good luck, Michelle. And to all the other people news, such as Jeff Herbs, who will be leaving NVIDIA Ventures to work with J.U. and set up a new firm, GFG Ventures. 
MUFG Innovation Partners, part of Mitsubishi UFG Financial Group, has started its second fund with $185 million again, and a whole host of others, such as Australia-based ANZ Bank, which has spun out and renamed its corporate venture unit ANZI, which is now 1835. That's all the highlights from the past week. Catch everyone soon. And that is it for this week's edition of the Global Venturing Review podcast. As always, these are only the top headlines from the past week. So do head on over to globalcorporateventuring.com, globaluniversityventuring.com and globalimpactventuring.com to find everything else. And of course, do check back daily to stay on top of the news as it happens. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if this is your first time listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which we really appreciate because it helps us grow our audience. And don't forget to recommend us to your friends and colleagues as well. Maybe even tweet out the episode or post about it on LinkedIn. Keep an eye out too on Wednesdays for our leadership series where we talk with thought leaders from all over the world to find out more about how they are supporting the innovation ecosystem. If you have any feedback, comments, questions, you can email me at thales at globaluniversityventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globaluniversityventuring.com. You can also tweet us at GCVenturing or G-U-Venturing. My name is Jerry Hillis. My co-host is Editor-in-Chief James Mawson. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. Do check him out on inearproduction.com for all your podcasting needs. Our intro music is by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. We'll be back with more news next Monday. Have a productive week, everyone. Goodbye. Global Venturing Review was produced by In-Ear Production. You can find out more by going to inearproduction.com.